0: Amen. You can be seated today. Thank you so much for being here. It is a great looking group this morning. Thank you for being here. I want to get something out of the way first of all today. Because so many people came in, as you're coming in this morning, I could tell there was something written all over your face, Rod Ross, you more than most, okay? I want, I want you to realize that today, and that is that yes, I am fully aware that the Arkansas Razorbacks lost to UNT yesterday. But I need you to understand, you can clap for that, that's a clap for UNT. I need you to understand something. I grew up in Arkansas, but I did not go to Arkansas. I have a PhD from the University of North Texas. Go be green! That's what I want to say today, all right? And here's the thing. You see, I always have an answer ready for you people when you come in, all right? I've thought about what I think you're going to say to me, and I always have an answer ready. And that is exactly where we go in Scripture today as we look at Colossians chapter 4. It's an incredible joy to be able to open up this series and kind of give you some of the biblical history background of what we were going to be getting into that declared Jesus Christ is greater than everything. So this has been a phenomenal series as, as Bart has shared over the last many weeks about this. But I'm so excited to be able to do the final message in this series as we transition to something that I believe that God is going, we're going to look back on these next six weeks And we're going to see it as an opportunity and a time in which God was working in our hearts as a church and as the vision for where He has us go from this point forward is going to be shared over the next several weeks. I think we're going to look back on this time and we're going to see how this this series in Colossians prepared us for where we're going to go next. But here's a question I want to ask you, have you ever been fearful? to step into a situation and to do something about something that you saw as an injustice. Or something, maybe somebody was on the side of the road and their car was broken down and you were fearful to step into that. Maybe someone was being talked to in a way that you didn't think they should be talked to and you were fearful to step into a situation like that. Well, that's what we're going to deal with today. We're going to look at some of our greatest fears. But several years ago, I was in a setting and in a situation where I had to step in to a situation. It was something that I was a little bit scared to do. We'd actually gone on a trip down to SeaWorld. I can't remember exactly how old my daughters were at the time, but they were old enough to be embarrassed by their father, all right? That's what what I can recall. It had been raining in San Antonio for multiple days, just like it's been doing so right now. And we were going to SeaWorld, and because we were going to SeaWorld, it it was raining the day we were going, so there weren't nearly as many people in the park on this particular day. So that was pretty cool. It was going to be a lighter attended day, and so we were going to be able to get on all the rides and things that we wanted to do. But we started off in the early morning, and we decided that we would go to the ski show first because it it had a covered awning, and it was still raining on this particular morning. So we got to the ski show, it was 10 a.m., there was no, hardly anybody else there, and we found our seats. They were better seats than we would normally get. We were down closer to the front, and there were stage that were moving around on the stage. They were picking up rope, picking up trash, doing a few different things. And lo and behold, these two guys, we had nothing else to do, so we're watching everything that's going on. These two guys go out to a small boat. And because it had been raining all night, they are bailing out the boat with all the water. Then when one of them goes up close to the boat, he slips, and it had a motor on the boat, and because the motor was propped up, when he slipped, the boat fell on top of him. His buddy is frantically trying to get him out from under the boat and then yells for help. I'm sitting in my seat watching this go on, and I have to make a decision. Do I sit in my seat or do I go out there and help this guy pull this boat off of his friend? What do you think that I did? Help him. I helped him. That's exactly what I did. I, I thank you, dear, that you believe in me a lot more than Jimmy does. Okay? I'm thanking you for that. Jimmy does not believe in me whatsoever. So I jumped from my seat. I go towards the stage. I have to go over this little embankment. I make it to the boat. I help the man lift the boat off of his friend, and he crawls out from under it. They thank me. They then encourage the few people that are in the crowd to give me a hand and to do that, and I make my way back to my seat. Now, I'm not going to lie. I felt a little bit like this, all right? I felt invincible at that particular point in time. But, you know, I'm trying not to, not, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I get back to my seat and start to take my seat. And Jennifer and the girls are acting like they do not know me. I'm like, what is your deal? What is going on? What's wrong with you people? I sit down, Jennifer goes, you realize you just became part of the show. I said, what are you talking about? It's been raining all night. The boat was full of water. It was heavy when I picked it up, okay? I realized that it was, why are you so cynical that you would think that they would draw me into this thing this way? I can't believe you would think that. And we kind of lost ourselves in the rest of the show. As they pushed the boat out in the water, they went out and they, and then shortly afterwards, this show started to go. But we were so I was so miffed by the thought that my wife would think that this was what was going on. We went over to the other side of the lagoon and we watched for show number two to see if it started the same way and I was going to show her. And would you believe that show number two started in the same way (laughs) with some other goofball who was pulled out of the crowd to do this very thing. Can you believe that people would do such a thing like that to draw on our sympathies to the point where they would pull us out of the crowd and we help them and it's just part of the show. Can you believe that? I was an idiot. I felt stupid the rest of the day and I said to myself, I will never help anybody else. (laughs) That is what I will never do. Well, listen, as we think about that, That is how we often feel when we get to what this passage is going to talk about. When we get to the place where we actually are going to share our faith with someone, one of the greatest fears that any of us have is to actually talk verbally about our faith. We think that someone is going to make fun of us, just like I ended up being made fun of in my story today. We think that somebody's gonna a- ask us the question that is absolutely unanswerable. And so because of that, we keep quiet. Our culture, we think that our culture is saying, I double dog dare you to actually say something to me about faith. We think that's what everybody looks at. But today I want us to investigate this because this is an incredibly Powerful passage in Colossians. It is a powerful passage that is so appropriate for us as we as a church who've grown immensely, as Bart shared earlier, as Bart sa- shared earlier, as we have grown, we stand on the precipice of this time in and space here in this service this morning, and we look forward to what's going to be next. And this passage has a great message for us as we think about praying and proclaiming this message of Christ and this message of hope that he has given us. And yet, there are two imperatives here that are given. And what it focuses us to is a place of dependence upon God with this idea of prayer And dependence upon him as we come to the edge and and we ask ourselves, are we going to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach this community? You see, we believe something here at EVC. We believe that there are other churches in this community that are strong and that need to continue to be strong and to continue to reach this community. It's not just about Eagles View Church as we think about this time. It is not just about us. It is about this whole community being healthy enough and having a number of healthy churches. We cannot reach this community alone, amen? We've got to have other people who are next to us to do so. That's the reason we want to plant more and more healthy churches. It's the reason that we want our sister churches in the area to grow just as we do. But even if all that happens, if you've looked at the demographics, this area is going to continue to explode. And we have a choice in front of us, are we going to continue to be inconvenienced for the convenience of others to make this place a continual place that's available to continually give the proclamation of the gospel? Or are we going to sit in the stands and be comfortable? God has something to say to us, and He was saying it to the people of Colossae as well. He was saying to them, listen. I want you to have a clear view of what Christ, of who Christ is, that Jesus Christ is greater than everything. That's what he wanted this church to know. And he called them to change their character and that their character would be transformed to put off the old things in life and to put on the new things. He called them that their homes would be models of places where Jesus Christ was Lord, and he made a transformational difference in them. He then told them that when you go into the workplace, at the the beginning of, end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four, when you go into the workplace, your life needs to continually show the transformational power of this Jesus who is greater than everything. And it culminates to chapter four where we are today. What Paul culminates this message, he says, why is it so important that we see the transformational power of God? It's for this, because we need to talk to God about people, and we need to talk to people about God. Amen? Think about that. We need to talk to God about people, and we need to talk to people about God. The culmination of this passage is that we would get out of our seats And seek to make a difference in the lives of other people around us. Let's look at it. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, Paul says this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. And live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. There are two main points of this message. and the first one, we've already shared it, but it's simply this. We need to talk to God about people, amen? We call that prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, we've done whole series here at EVC on this issue and this opportunity of prayer. But why is this so important here? Paul is teaching us that we need to, first of all, develop a lifestyle, of prayer. Develop a lifestyle. Now, I'm going to be very honest. I am a person of action and activity. Some would call me ADD, okay, that I am always about activity. I am always about what's the next action. What can I do? And this area of prayer has been a difficult one for me to calm myself down, to calm my heart, to calm my brain and get it focused that I would pray specifically for how God needs to act or how God is going to act in the lives of people and how I'm going to focus my adoration on Him. I have struggled with this at times in my life. I've struggled with this as a specific spiritual discipline. So I don't speak to you this morning as someone who has this all together. This is a message for me just as as much as is a message for anyone else. But we have to ask ourselves this question and I ask myself this question. What keeps me from having a devoted lifestyle of prayer? Well, first of all, I think there's three reasons that it could be. The first one is this. We have a small view of God. We have a small view of God. We don't pray oftentimes because we have a small view of God. Now, I don't think that's really our issue. I know it's not my particular issue in this, and I don't think it's yours. You're here today. Now, is it other people's? Absolutely. They have a small view of God, so they choose not to pray because they say, God's not gonna do anything anyway, so why should I pray? But that is one particular reason. The second one is, we have a low view of people. A low view of people. We may think that people are too far gone. They are just unreachable. We may simply say that this, I just really don't care about people. I had to make a choice. Did I think I was going to look goofy in that situation, or was I going to go and try to be helpful? Did I care about people enough? Now, this isn't my particular issue as well, because I absolutely love people. Now, I do find that as I get older with with age, I am liking people less, okay? (laughs) I'm not quite sure why that is, but I have always genuinely loved and cared for people. But some people don't pray because they just don't care about people. But the third way is really, I think, mine. It's this. I have too high of a view of myself. We often don't pray and we don't develop a lifestyle of prayer simply because of pride. Now, we say things like this. I'm too busy. I've got too much to do that I would spend a dedicated time in prayer. Or things like this. I think I've got this. I can go do this and I can make a difference. Rather than spending time going to God about people, we try to go and accomplish things in their lives. I'm a fixer. I always have been. I was the inventor of the helicopter parent, okay? I have found that with our staff and their children, I am trying to parent their children more than they're trying to parent their children, all right? I, I want to be involved. I want to be active. But what that really says is I have too high of a view of what I think I can accomplish, and so there, I have therefore I haven't developed this lifestyle of prayer. Paul encourages the church in Thessalonica. He, in First, First Thessalonians five seventeen and eighteen, he says, "Never stop praying. Never stop praying." What does Paul say? Is he saying, close your eyes as you're drive, driving? No. And by the way, did you realize that the Bible never, ever says, close your eyes when you pray? Do you realize that? You, when we tell you to pray, you can have your eyes wide open looking at us if you would like to. That is perfectly fine. The reason we have told children, close your eyes and bow your heads and put your hands together is because if we don't do that, we're all about the activity, am I Right? I mean, you've seen the preschool class. If you don't say, do this, bow your heads, and get all of their attention focused, their mind's going to be everywhere. And we are not that different. We need to be focused. And Paul is saying, devote yourself to a lifestyle of prayer. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. He always mentions, almost always mentions thankfulness. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. But how does he say to do this, to devote ourselves to prayer? He says, devote yourselves to prayer with what? With an alert mind and a thankful heart. As Bart shared with us last week, there were three books that were written quite simultaneously and then sent out from Paul. He's in prison in Rome. He sends out the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, and also Philemon. And he sends these out at virtually the same time. And so he is writing them, thinking about them. But there is a significant difference in the book of Ephesians to the book of Colossians. And that is this. We know that Paul had never actually seen the people of Colossae. He did not plant this church, Epaphras did, and he has never been to this place. He says he does not actually know them. He's not actually seen them. But the people at Ephesus, he knew. He knew their names. He knew them individually. Paul had lived in Ephesus and taught in Ephesus for three years. And he knew these people. So when we read Ephesians as opposed to Colossians, we know that Paul has individual people on his mind and heart. And it's quite more. It's quite a bit more detailed than the book of Colossians. And listen to the same passage, the same things as Paul is writing these things simultaneously. What does he say to people that he knows a little bit better? He says this in Ephesians chapter six. He says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. And now he says, put on all of God's armor, this very famous passage. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to say it's just important for you to have a lifestyle of prayer. But to the Ephesians, he says, wait a second, I know what's going on in your lives. And I know that there are things going on in your lives that you need protection from. He says, put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. What Paul says to them as he's getting ready to talk about about prayer is he says, we've got to realize we are in a war. We've got to realize that we're not just fighting a a war against our own flesh, which it is that, but that Satan himself can manipulate situations in our life to put us in places where we either think that we we have too high of a view of ourselves or a low view of people or a low view of God that brings us to a place where we are no longer dependent upon him in this action, in this attitude of prayer. Paul realizes this, and he wants to bring it to their attention of the church at Ephesus. He says, "'You are in a war. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor,' he says, "'so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm and stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness.'" As you stand in Jesus Christ, as he told the Colossians, as you stand in Christ, you realize you have the full body armor of standing in Christ. Stand your ground, putting on this for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, that you would be fully prepared. And that's what he's going to talk about. That as we share our faith, that we would be fully prepared. And in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on your salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then, that's the personal part that he says to the church of Ephesians. Then he gets back to almost the same exact message that he gets to in the book of Colossians. You need to stand firm with all the armor of God because you're coming up against this enemy in your lives. But what should we do? Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion and stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Why do we need to stay alert? We need to stay alert because there's a battle that is being waged out here. The sad thing is, If you do not ask God to lift the scales of your eyes, to see in other people's lives what's holding them back, what's keeping them back from accepting him, what's holding them back from experiencing him fully, you don't begin to see the crush of debt. You don't begin to see the issues of relational conflict in their lives. You don't see the fact that they are trying to keep up with other people all around them. You don't see the war that's going on for people's lives. We need to lift off the scales and we need to begin to see people as God sees people. And we will not do it if we don't live a lifestyle of prayer With a thankful heart, he says. Why does he continually, the the book of Colossians has been called the book of thankfulness. Why? Because time and time again, Paul has mentioned thankfulness. And Bart has brought that out in this series that God continually talks about thankfulness. Why is that? Thankfulness always keeps our minds focused on our personal relationship with God. You cannot pray with thankfulness if you're not focused on God's view of yourself and your attitude of thankfulness back to whatever he brings into your life. Hardship, difficulty, struggles, and success. What we know as believers is simply this. God does not allow anything in our life that is not to the molding, and shaping of our character to be transformed in Jesus Christ. Amen? He allows these things that our character would be formed in him. They are not comfortable. They are not fun to walk through and to walk in. But they are the things that God is going to use to absolutely give us entrance into other people's lives to have conversations of them. The difficult things of our life, not the great things of our life, sometimes he'll use those, but more often than not, he will use the difficulties because it's in the difficulties that God allows his grace to be shown. And when our thankfulness overflows, even in the struggles of life, it's then that our transformed character is shown in Christ more than in the good times. So what does he say? He says, pray at all times. Pray with a thankful heart and be alert. Here's the action point that I wanna give you for this point in the message. I want you to take a people inventory this week in your life. All right? So, here's what that looks like. I want you to think about the people that you work around, and I just want you to begin to list their names. I want you to think about your neighbors. I want you to think about this question. How many of my neighbors do I actually know their actual names? I want you to think about that. I want you to think about if your kids play sports, how many of the parents and kids who are on your team do you actually know? I simply want you to take an inventory of the people that you're around in your life in every given week? If you go to the same store every week and you see the same checkout person, do you know their name, okay? I just want you to list their names. That's the first point of this exercise. I want you to take a people inventory of the people in your life. And then step number two is simply this. I want you to be willing to ask some of them a question. Whoever God leads you to. And here's the question. I've never had anyone refuse to answer this question. And it's simply this. I'm going to pray for you this week regardless. If I could pray for one thing that you are looking for in your life this week, what would it be? I've never had anyone say no to that. And it's simple. All you say is, I'm gonna pray for you this week. If I could ask one thing for you, what would it be? Now, I'm not asking you to do that for every person in your inventory list. I want you to start off small. I want you to ask one person and simply say this, I'm praying for you anyway, but if I could ask God for something specific in your life, what would it be? And I've never had anyone say no to that. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to be intentional about praying for, for others. I want you to be intentional about who are these people in your life. The second thing Paul says here is pray for us. Pray for us. Now, I'm not gonna dwell on this, but he says pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Now, we've talked about what that mysterious plan is. It's not really mysterious. It is the gospel of who Jesus is, that he was present at the creation of the world, that he was present in this part of salvation in our life, that he is present in us as we live out our lives in in him. This is the mysterious plan. But Paul is saying, I'm going to proclaim this. Now we're going to find out what our general responsibility as the body of Christ is in proclaiming Jesus Christ. But you, most of you in this room, listening to the sound of my voice, you are not called To be a proclaimer always of the gospel in ways like I am called to proclaim the gospel. Not in ways like Bart is called to proclaim the gospel. But Paul is saying, because we have this calling, we unapologetically ask you to pray for us. He says, that's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Can I ask you something unapologetically? Would you pray for us as your pastors? I'm asking you. Don't just come in and sit and receive a message. But as you go from this place, would you pray for us? Would you pray for our families? Would you pray for this staff? As we've gone to four services, it's, it's something different, okay? We're all feeling that it is something different. It is a weight upon our families a little bit more than maybe we even anticipated that it might be. But here's what I'm asking of you. Listen, you need to understand that because of the gifting and calling that God places upon our life, and to do this and to move forward, and because of what we see happening here, do you realize what we're seeing happen here is not happening in churches all over the nation? It's not. Is it because of us? Absolutely not. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's doing. And we need your prayer to continue to see churches planted, not just here, but in other places, and to see our lives count for him. Bart and I have seen way too many of our friends chuck out on ministry, throw it to the wayside. We've seen way too many of our friends fall in moral failure. We've seen way too many of our friends, some of them take their lives because of depression that they felt like they had to have hidden. And I'm asking you, please pray for us. And that is the imperative that Paul is saying to them. Listen, we need your prayers. Talk to people or talk to God about people. The second thing and the final thing today is Paul says, talk to people about God. Talk to people about God. We have a responsibility to talk to other people about this faith that we have. Now, it's not your specific role to proclaim to to hundreds and maybe thousands. But you do have a role that Paul points out here. What does he say? He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Do not take that lightly. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Oh no, all right? Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. Think about the conversations you had this week. How many of them were gracious and attractive to other people who might have overheard them? Paul says, "Be gracious. let those conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right responses for everyone. Let's break this down in the last couple of minutes that we have. Paul says, first of all, live this out wisely. Now, he's talked about this in the whole book of Colossians. He first of all says, look first at your own life. You need to look first at your own life. Put off the old behavior of your life. Put on the new relationship that you have in Christ. That's what he's drawing attention to back in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. he's He's saying, take these things out of your life and put these things into your life. Why? Because if you're going to live wisely, how you live your life in front of others actually makes a difference. Why does he focus so much on the home? Why does he focus on the workplace at the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4? When he talks about slave and master, he's really talking about worker and employee. So go home and read that again as to what it means for us. But why does he draw attention to this? He draws attention because it's in your homes and it's specifically in your workplaces where people will watch you closer than in any other place in your life in your workplaces and how you deal with others as your day-to-day operations. You say, well, should my faith really make a difference in how I work? And the answer is absolutely, because we must live this out wisely. It is there in the workplace where the majority of people will truly see your transformed character in Jesus Christ. Look at what Matthew 5, 13 says. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And you are the light of the world. Like a city set on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. And instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Where is your stand? The place where you work Your neighborhood, your home is where the light of Jesus Christ has been placed. You don't put lights in lit up places. You put lights in the darkest of places. So where is your stand? And what does he say? In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The Greek word here is called kalos. It means see the intrinsic beauty of your actions. Let your good deeds shine out so that everybody sees the transformed nature of Christ in your life. Now listen, you may be going through difficulty right now and here's what I want you to know. God wants to use your difficulty. That's the reason we have a ministry called Hope Ministry that in the deepest, darkest places of your life, God actually wants to use those places to help shine out most in your life because he wants to see the beauty that goes on in us. We must live this out wisely. The next thing is we need to seek to understand outsiders. We need to seek to understand outsiders. We need to be students of people that we come in contact. Remember that people inventory that I asked you to do. You need to become students of those those people. Now, we're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but here's here's the homework assignment I want you to take. I want you to go to John chapter 4 and see how Jesus walks with the woman at the well and see how he investigates her life and ministers in specific points and places to her life. John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, seek to understand the outsider, the person who does not know Christ. And then he says, seek opportune moments. Make the most of every opportunity. There are two words used for time in the Greek language. One is called kairos, or one is called kronos, which is simply time, as we would look at our watches and say, okay, how much time does he have left in this message? Okay, I know that's what you're thinking about. How much time does he have? That's kronos time, the amount of time that's available. But then there's another word that's called kairos. And kairos says this. What is the necessity that needs to happen in this amount of time? There is a purpose that God has for this specific amount of time, and this is the word that is used here. It is kairos. He says, make the most of every single opportunity. So here's the point in this. The situations of your life that you're struggling with, do you realize those are the very things that God will use to put you along someone else next to them that says, hey, I've walked a similar road with you. It is your weakness that enables you to speak into people's lives. People, if you are, if you are having great success in your life, people who are struggling don't want to nuzzle up to you and go, hey, how come things are going so great for you? That's not normally what happens. But it's when we are having difficulty in our life that someone is willing to say, hey, I've watched you go through this how in the world are you holding up in this? That's what we call an opportune moment. These are the times in our lives when people ask us for the reason why we have joy, the reason why we have hope, even in the midst of darkness. That's why we have to live transformed lives because people want to ask us, what's going on in your life? And when when God places an opportunity like that, When you're you're sitting in the stands and it seems like there is an available opportunity, it's then that you must be ready to give an answer. Now, this is the big monster at the end of the book, isn't it? Where we're fearful to give an answer. So I want to very simply give you something very simple to think about. When you're thinking about giving an answer, here's what it means. Three points, three things very quickly. First of all, you need to listen to other people's stories. Before you ever say anything, you need to listen to their story. This may take days, it may take weeks, but you need to be a student of what's going on in their life. So many times I was taught... Many different evangelism strategies. When someone says this, you say that. And to be honest with you, I was so focused on what they were saying next so that I would have my answer ready that I was not thinking about what was really going on in their life. Okay? I'm not against evangelism strategies, but I can tell you in the culture in which we live, it is better for you to stay focused and listen to what's going on in somebody's life. You need to listen to their story. Number two, you need to tell your story. Listen to their story, then tell your story. Your testimony of what God is doing in your life today, no one can refute. Do you realize that? No one's gonna ask you an unanswerable question about your story. You know why? It's your story. What is Jesus doing in my life? Listen to their story, tell your story. And the final one, tell Christ's story. Tell Christ's story. Now how am I gonna do that? You may want to learn a a passage of Scripture or two, or three, or four. The Roman road is a phenomenal place for you to go to. Romans uh, 3.10, Romans 5.8, Romans 5.12, and Romans 6.23. But let me just give you Romans 6.23, because it's a great verse to be able to transition from your story to their story, or from, from your story to Christ's story. And it's simply this, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Listen, my life was heading down a path where it was in total destruction. But Christ came into my life. I invited him into my life. And this has been the result of that. You tell Christ's story. You see, we need to talk to God about people. We need to lift them up in prayer. We need to... Find out what's going on in their lives. And the second, we need to talk to people about God. Why was this the message of Colossians? Because Paul knew that his road was getting short. And he knew that this idea of the gospel and faith needed to go beyond himself and beyond the church of Colossae. And I'm so thankful that it did because you and I would not be sitting here today if they had not taken seriously Colossians 2, 4 through 6, we would not be sitting here today. I need you and I to ask this question. Are the people in our future, are the people in our legacy, are they worthy of this same gospel that we've received? And if they are, we need to talk to God about people. And we need to talk to people about God. Would you bow with me this morning? As we share this passage, I realize when I start talking about tell your story, some of you don't have a story of faith. You have a story of questions. Your questions, you brought your questions in with you today. And my prayer for you is that you begin your story today. That you invite Christ to come and be the Savior and Lord of your life today. For others of you, it would be that you would begin to take with even a greater degree of seriousness this call to love people and to tell people about their relationship that they need with God. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you love us. Lord, for those who don't have a relationship with you today, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would do your conviction even now. That you'd come alongside and say, that that was for you. Father, for the rest of us, I ask that we would have your heart for those around us. I pray that we would have your mind, that the scales would be off our eyes when we walk into places this week and we would understand what it means that we need to give a verbal representation of your word to people. That our actions need to live out loud this gospel that we've said has transformed our very lives. God, may you give us the grace that we need, the conviction we need to continually talk to you about people and talk to others about how you've changed our lives. May you be glorified in our obedience this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. stay